The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We have had and experienced our homecoming of the summer. Um, The first real hockey uh, of any variety that either of us has seen in person since... What was it? Uh, It was our trip to... The Worcester Railers. Just before the pause, we went yes. to see the Worcester Railers ECHL team against the Bruins ECHL affiliate, the Atlanta Gladiators. Which in and of itself was an interesting um, experience for us. We we talked about it when it happened. Uh, but yes, it was very nice to get back into a rink and to see live action personnel skating around the ice, passing pucks, shooting pucks, goaltenders, stopping pucks. I was, as we said on that first day, what was the comment we made? Felt like home. It, it, it legitimately felt like going home. It was just, it was such a nice thing. And five days of dev camp, uh, it might hold me over for a little bit, but, I'm going to need some more live hockey at some point. (laughs) Yes. uh, I think they need to have a summer tournament and invite all of the best college and junior kids to age out and play like three, four game sets. All the guys who are not yet signed, maybe throw in um, some early, uh, some guys who, you know, for whatever reason, don't get tendered an offer who are like under 25, 26 and um, who are now for UFAs instead of RFAs um, and let uh, and let everyone have a taste. Um, pick a couple of Hall of Famers, name the teams after them uh, and, you know, have a couple of uh, just a couple of names to com- uh, have a couple of people out there. Give yourself a spectacle to hold people over until actual training camps this fall. Um, even, that's even one of if, the things. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, even if you do it in the name of charity, charge five or 10 bucks a ticket and donate the proceeds to a charity, whether it's the Bruins foundation or a children's hospital or that uh, could work too. breast cancer or something like that. And even competing charities for the various teams. Okay, there's an idea. Yeah, winning team, you know, money goes to the winning team's charity or, or certain percentage, depending on how they finish, something like that. Sure. I'm all for it. And I get uh, to see live hockey. Live hockey and something meaning and make it meaningful. Um, one of the one of the ways that the NFL is flat out better than their competition is 12 months a year. There is something to remind you the NFL is there. Oh, yeah. Twelve months a year. Absolutely, because you got at the end after the Super Bowl in February, you got uh, whatever they do with the combine in March and then the draft in April and then preseason and OTAs and preseason games. And uh, yeah, they're always in your face or they're always at least on the news in some form or fashion. You cannot go a full calendar month without them breaking uh, onto your radar screen. It's just not possible. Um, And I don't think that the NHL is ever going to 
close the gap or is ever going to catch the NFL. The sports are just too different. And quite frankly, I don't know that a lot of people have the tracking ability to be focused on a game that can go six, seven minutes without an interruption. Um, because let's face it, the average football play in the NFL lasts like six seconds. That's it. And then it takes 40 seconds in between plays, and then they've got timeouts and TV timeout. Now, granted, NHL does have TV timeouts, but not nearly as many. Not nearly as many, and there aren't. And not all stoppages mean a timeout is coming. I mean, watch a football game. A one-hour game takes three hours to play. Yeah, both games take on the clock or running time is 60 minutes. NFL takes three to three and a half hours. Hockey takes about two hours and 45 minutes, yeah. two and a half. Yeah. And that includes two, uh, uh two breaks, uh, for the, uh, intermissions. Whereas NFL has one halftime and in between court, in between the first and second and, third and fourth quarters they get like a two minute or three minute so yeah no there's definitely i I don't understand it but okay fine they won't catch him but to say that hockey to say that hockey can't be talked about year round i think is foolish i understand that it's quote unquote a winter sport but it's typically you know we play the we play the playoffs in june and I mean, we were just at Warrior Ice Arena in August, and the ice looked okay to me. That I didn't hear anybody complaining about it. Nobody was tripping over it except for a couple of guys tripping over the hash marks, <laughs> which we will get into at some point. Um, Absolutely. Um, actually, before we jump into camp and revel in it for a large portion of the show, um, let's let's actually tackle some of the other stories, uh, one or two of them. Sounds good to me. Um, one of the most talked about names uh, in Boston in the last uh, two weeks, three weeks, mm-hmm. has been Christian Dvorak. Um, he is this summer's Mr. Perfect. He really okay. is. Every, An interesting way to put it. But. You look almost anywhere that's looking for a center, and his name and Perfect Four – attached to that team's name is just about certain to come up. In this case, uh, our friends over at BLS, um, Steve Paulus, uh, Christian Dvorak is perfect for the Rangers. Now, my first question is, is he perfect for 31 other NHL team, NHL organizations and just not perfect for Arizona because of the money he makes? I don't even think it's the money. I think that they are just flat out determined to blow it up and start over. Uh, Bill Armstrong wants his fingerprints and no one else's on this team. And I think that there's. Yeah, I think there's some bias coming out of ownership as well uh, with the way things ended with Cheka um, that they don't want. They don't want his handprints anywhere. No, they're getting rid of, and I said it, they're getting rid of everybody who was attached to John Jacob. Drafted by, signed by, 
hired by. Yeah, they are. They are, in effect, eliminating him from Arizona Coyotes lore as much as they possibly can. Anyway, I mean, Dvorak himself, he's a 25 year old. He's a left shot center. Yeah. Would he fit on a lot of teams? I'm sure he would. I'm not saying he wouldn't. But this belief that he's perfect for this or he's perfect for the Rangers, he's perfect for. But it happens every year. There's at least one player who, if they're not gone on the first day, whether they're a free agent or they're a trade piece. Yeah. Every year, every year. And this year it's Christian Dvorak and his salary. His salary is nothing. Particularly compared to how they're talking about him. Four four million four point four five million for the next three years or four years for a twenty five year old. He's got lots of term. Twenty five year old. Um, if you're expecting, go. No, I was just gonna say not huge offensive numbers as far as I as far as I can tell. He has but suffered. That's Arizona. He has suffered a little bit of injury. He has a little bit of injury history. Uh, he missed 58 games because of pectoral injury in 1819. But the other four seasons, he missed a total of eight games. I mean, yeah, I, I, we've said it here that this could be a solution to the 2C problem here in Boston. But if he's so, I guess my my one final question is: if he's so perfect for all of these franchises, how is he still in Arizona? Uh, there's two potential answers to that. One, the asking price is way too high. Or two, um, there's some reluctance, or there's some reluctance of the player to say, "Yes, I want to play there for the next four years." Does he have a say in this matter? I don't know what his contract stipula- uh, situation is. Does he have uh, any kind of no movement or? He does not, but uh, it's no one wants to give up the assets needed for a second or first line center for a guy that they're going to have to flip six months later or a year later. Um. I think the Taylor Hall situation is leaving a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths where he was just plain awful in Buffalo and back to pretty much his old self uh, is almost literally the day he landed in in Boston. Yeah, if that wasn't a situation where he was finally in a place in a place he desired to play and and the evidence was clear and obvious. <laughs> he, he, he scored almost as many points in 17 games as he did in 45, 50. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Christian Dvorak in the last three seasons from the 1920 season through the 2021 season was fifth in scoring. Um, actually, I believe he had, he had the most goals. Um, that's yeah, wow. That's terrible. Um, he had the most goals um, and was merely a minus five where 
only Nick Schmaltz in the top five for scoring was a positive uh, number. And yes, I don't necessarily believe in the plus minus for comparables between teams, but within it, within a team. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's usually fairly valid. Um, and of course he played, he, his points production was just over half a point on a totally garbage team. And that's with a 15.3 shooting percentage, uh, over those couple of seasons, uh, face off wins over 53%, 53.5. Um, there's something there. If you put him with people who can, actually figure out what they're supposed to do with the puck. Um, I have hope. And I think that's why he's being talked about so much. It doesn't take much looking at the stats to figure out that there's got to be something there. I mean, when you read this article and it's written by Steve Paulus, um, when you read this article and you actually get down to the, what would it take bit? That's the one area where I can see it might actually work because, as Paulus has here, he's right. It the Coyotes don't have any sort of goaltending. I mean, when you sign Carter Hutton, who isn't a number one, regardless of what Buffalo thinks, and when you sign Joseph Coronar, who hasn't played a, a dozen games in the NHL yet. Uh, the availability of somebody like Georgiev could be enticing as far as moving Dvorak to the Rangers. I I don't know that the Rangers really, I mean, obviously you can fit him in there, but does he fit in as a two C a three C? I mean, we well, all know Sabanajad's top line, but this article's idea is that they're going to trade uh, Strom for him. And I don't know that I would necessarily want to make that trade, particularly. Yeah, I don't I'm not sure that that's the trade I want. If I'm I I know that the Rangers would need to shed salary and probably. And probably. um, Yes, move a roster, open a roster spot or two, but. uh, Okay. I don't know that I want to necessarily make the trade for Strom if I'm if I'm Arizona and intent on tanking. I mean rebuilding. Ah, yes. Rebuilding through the draft. Well, certainly not rebuilding through signing top notch free agents anyway. No, no, no. That's clearly what uh New Jersey is doing. And they are ah, absolutely yes. determined. To collect all of the top <laughs> UFAs and stars from five years ago. Nice segue, by the way. Um, the it, you may not have noticed, but the New Jersey Devils have signed this person, that person, and Mike Tatar. They signed Dougie Hamilton. Um, and I think they, I think they mailed me a contract offer. Yeah, I saw that. It was it came to you at camp. I think they must have had a scout there. Excellent. Uh but the next person who is of course perfect or completes the off season 
for the New Jersey Devils. You complete um, me. You can... From pucks and pitchforks, we learn that one Phil Kessel, uh, the now well-traveled right wing, um, and via Charlie Borges, uh, he is the perfect addition to their top six. Well, Pittsburgh felt he wasn't top enough. Um, and moved him to Arizona. No, was it? They moved him to Arizona for Alex Galchenyuk. And yes. now, now the Devils want to get him from Arizona. I have a hard time holding Phil Kessel's Arizona time against him. I will, however, hold the fact that he's never been a great athlete. He's been a great goal scorer. And and I don't understand how you can and, – and this was my first argument when they dealt him for – and I understand there's different types of toughness, but to sit there and, and trade Phil Kessel for Alex Galchenyuk saying that they needed to get tough uh, when Phil Kessel, I don't know, kind of went through that whole cancer thing, you know, and you might need to be a little tough to get through those type of things and, and come oh, out the I other end. I think that Kessel's like willingness to go is great. I mean, he, you don't play every game for multiple seasons in a row without some form of, without being dinged up in some way. Nine straight years. That's great. But Phil Kessel, not a top athlete and no longer a young player. Agreed. Um, in fact, he may be the oldest person on his team at this point. In Arizona, probably by a lot. It's Although I don't know. Phil. I don't know. Do they 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 get rid of Goligoski? Uh Kessel is thirty three. Um, nope. I'm sorry. They brought they did bring in Andrew Ladd this season, who is two years older. Um, um and Louis Erickson is older. Well, you have to have some high contracts in order to make it to the cap floor. You can't have you can't have six or or seven, you know, entry level contracts and expect to meet the cap standards. But here's I think the real appeal for Buffalo or for New Jersey fans. He's been on two cup winners. Yeah. And while I'm well, I think that at Eleven hundred and twenty-two regular season games, and an additional ninety-six playoff games. Um, that he's got some mileage on the body. I don't know that. Okay, he might be the type of guy who can get them into the first round. But based on everything since his, yeah, I. My the the question is that he's perfect for he's perfect for New Jersey and I don't know where they're where they're set with wings I know that they've got Sharon Govich plays I think the same side I think he's a right winger um yeah Hughes is a center they I mean they have some interesting players there but now they paid nine they're paying Dougie what nine million dollars a year. They're paying Dougie all the money, yeah. They're paying Dougie all the money. <laughs> I mean, is it 
possible that they're just trying to acquire and as I'm going to steal your phrase here, they're just trying to acquire all of the big names from five years ago. <laughs> possibly. And I think that in whether it's a conscious decision or not, that yes, that's what's happening. Uh, but I think at issue or what they're trying to do, um, I think the actual goal is to provide insulation for some of their young guys. I think they desperately want to take the media and opposing teams attention away from Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and uh, Jesper Brett. And, you know, you've got Sharon Govich. Yeah. Who just resigned. who just extended. And you've got, you know, Ty Smith on his entry level deal uh, on the blue line and Jonas uh, Siegenthaler, uh, who's only 24 on the blue line. I think that there's, I think there may be something to a desire to, I think some of it is pure smoke and mirrors. Like they desperately want attention away from those young guys because don't forget, they've got Nolan foot. Who's going, who's in their system, who I'm sure they're hoping will land on the roster sooner rather than later. Um, they picked him up. Uh, I forget what the trade was, but uh, I can't imagine that they don't want him on the roster at you know six three and one hundred ninety five pounds. Okay. First round pick. Um, he played six games for them last year. I don't know if he's going to break camp with them this year because he did spend some time in Binghamton. Actually, he spent most of the. Most of the AHL's abbreviated season there last year and performed reasonably well. 17 points uh, in 24 games as a first year pro is pretty solid. Um, And there's two or three other young stars in that team, uh, in that camp who, because remember, they've been drafting towards the top of the draft, but there's two or three other young stars there. Well, they got. I mean, Luke Hughes is going to be coming in at some point. Obviously, he's going well, he's to Michigan. Projected on the roster, um, I thought. He's going to Michigan. He's going to be a freshman. So I don't think oh, that he's going to. This sub- year's Hughes. Yes, this I, year's. I was thinking of Jack. Sorry. So you bring him in. They got Jack. Yeah, obviously Jack is there. I mean, but I can see them wanting to shield. There's a. There's going to be a lot of press interest in the young guys. You've already and got one guy, and fan interest, and that's fair enough. But you've already got one guy who can detract from that, and that's uh, PK Subban. Obviously, he he hasn't met a camera he doesn't like, at least not that I've seen. Uh, although he's been calmer in the last couple of seasons, I think he's not as flashy this year. He's not hitting the highlight reels. Uh, he has definitely physically slowed down, and. I think that draws the cam- that is drawing less cameras to him. Okay. So you go, you get, you go, you make a big splash and sign Dougie Hamilton, who I, he's been super productive over the last five years. Is he a nine million dollar a year player though? I, I, he's being paid nine million a year. That makes him a nine million dollar a year player. Okay. Is he is he a player I would be happy to pay nine million dollars a year for? I guess it depended on my needs. So, yeah, bringing in Kessel would be another way of I can understand. I can understand the premise. 
I don't know how much of a disservice you're doing to the youngsters is shielding them from that aspect of their profession though. If they're suddenly, if they're, they're being shielded over time, you know, the first couple of years and then suddenly they're not, they're not protected anymore. And they've got cameras in their faces 24 seven. They're not going to, they wouldn't have learned how to react to the press in a professional way. But they can watch players who are more used to it react. I mean, Dougie Hamilton, they the cameras were crawling up his backside while he was here. P.K. Yeah. Subban had all of those cameras in Montreal, and then he still had them when he got to Nashville. Um, I think he handles them fairly well, even though he's – I mean, he's a big personality. There's no getting around it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, there's – that's the way it's always been from – I mean, I was hearing we were hearing about him before he joined the Canadian. So, um, I, I, I think that I'm not saying that Kessel would be a bad choice. No, he'd score some goals for them, and and depending but on who's lying. of it, it just feels eh. Yeah. Like I don't know how well the team would gel given the infusion of personalities. I mean. Let's face it, Phil Kessel is not going to be a problem in the locker room, except for the fact that he basically doesn't talk about anything other than video games and food. Um, <laughs> and I mean, who are you going to and, and what are you going to do? Are you going to put Kessel on the line with, uh, say, Nico and Thomas Tatar or Jack and Thomas Tatar? And then you're going to giving him the hands of someone like either of those young centers would be kind of fascinating because I think he slowed a little bit in his uh, dotage. Okay. But, uh, you know, giving him probably the best uh, passer he's had since Krejci um, probably wouldn't be terrible. No, I would agree with that. I don't think it would be. I don't think it would be terrible at all. But you still got Sharon Govich has got to fit in somewhere. So you got the makings of a couple of lines. I I'm not saying it's not a perfect fit, but it's also maybe. a question of who you have to give up or what you have to give up. Yes. I don't think they're going. I mean, Kessel's contract expires at the end of the year. He's uh, one maybe point uh, one in change of his contract is still being paid by Toronto. So you're fitting in 6.8 million or less, uh, depending on what's ha- on what what the deal is, and it might even be that you can get him if if Arizona is trying to stay above the cap, he might be able to get them to retain you know 30 percent of the cap just so that they have that much more of a cushion, because um, Arizona is at present well under the floor. No, they're they're over the floor finally. Oh, yay. <laughs> um, it's Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo that are under the floor by 4-7, 7-2, uh, and 7-3. Um, but especially if they trade Dvorak without retra- with trading or without retaining salary or acquiring something. If I'm... If I'm an Arizona Coyotes fan, though, I'm ticked off. I mean, I know the I know the Coyotes haven't played well the last two or three seasons, 
but to watch every single star who you were told was going to be the savior of the franchise move out in favor of guys like Andrew Ladd, who's clearly on the back nine of his career. Um, Carter Hutton. Their goaltending is costing them a total of one and a half million dollars. Yes. And they they have like what three four players total, well three forwards assigned total beyond this year, Dvorak who they're trying to trade, uh, Nick Schmaltz who didn't they just sign him? Uh, I and Clayton Keller. Yeah. That's it. And their defense, you have Jacob Chikrin who I'm sure everyone would love to trade for, but um, yes. No, especially especially at four point six million with three more years after this season. Shane Gostis Bear, who is. I don't know if you can quite call it a show me contract, but I anticipate that he's not going to finish that two year contract there. That's a, that's an expensive show me contract. But again, they had to get to the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, by the way, didn't didn't Philly give him away for Zero. Yeah. They Absolutely gave him away nothing. for postage. They're still paying one million on Kemper's contract. They're they retain just under a million over the next decade for Oliver Ekman Larson. They're still paying Michael Grabner for one more year. Holy cow. Oh, there's a couple of other teams who have nearly as many retained salaries and it's sort of uh, sort of interesting. But they do have five second-round picks next season. <laughs> Which is bonkers. And then two years out, I believe that's 24, they also have two picks already in the second round. Uh, yes. And I think it's two in the first round that year, too. No, just one. So far. In 2024, they have two seconds, two thirds, two fourths. Uh, one in the first, one in the fifth, one in the sixth, one in the seventh. Uh, <laughs> Yes, five second-round picks in 2022. Five. And they they have two first-round picks in 2022. They shouldn't even bother leaving the podium next year if if they're actually You just kind of step aside and let the next team – all right, Arizona is going to step to the podium again. Oh, wait, they're right here. Oh, wait, they're right here. Five out of 32. One-sixth of the picks in that round belong to Arizona. I, I guess if you're looking to rebuild, that's one way to do it. Bill, you're not going to make the cap floor with that many youngsters, but okay. Unless you turn around and give every single youngster a multi-million dollar deal. We drafted, uh, yeah, him. That's... We drafted him in the second round. We're going to give him... A seven-year, $56 million contract. Okay, now we made it to the cap floor. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and dra- speaking of Sorry. draft picks, let's talk Bruins development camp. Ah, uh, yes. Well, we didn't get th- – that was the one thing about this camp was that we didn't get to see any of the, Swe- and they, and any of the Swedes, and the Bruins did draft three of them. So there was no Fabian Lysel, there was no Oscar Yelvik, there was no um, uh, Philip. I think it's Philip Svetovac. Sounds about right. Yes, Svetovac. Yep. 
but the other draft picks were there in um, Ty Gallagher and uh, Brett Harrison. Yep. And Mason Lowry was there from last year. I'm trying to think of who else. I, I don't have the draft list. Quinn Olson was there. Um, Olson, thank you. It was a, it was a, it was a not small, but not huge group. I, I, I don't it know. It seems how to have been about the average size that they've maintained the last three or four years. Um, yes, it's exciting to have 60 guys in a camp like they had a few years back. Um, and honestly, given how empty the AHL roster is. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if they had had another five or 10 guys in this year. Um, because if you look at who's actually signed to Providence for this year, it's not many. Um, so Brett Harrison was there. Ryan Mast was there. Ryan Mast and Andre Gesso were the two that I didn't mention. And Ty Gallagher. And Ty Gallagher. And then we um, had – they had a lot of invites this year. I mean many invites. Oh, yeah. The invites were actually really interesting, and it did result in the signing of J.D. Greenway. Yes, the brother of that other Greenway, um, who was drafted in 2016 at number 72 by the Leafs. Um, really big guy. 6'5", 23 years old. Um, now that, if anything, is is – the definition of a show me contract is they gave him a two year deal, but it's a two year AHL deal. So he can't, he can't be brought up. Honestly, the most polarizing player in camp. If you talk to various people, (laughs) um, if you, and it's, it's a hundred percent easy to see why, if you looked at him going through the drills, he cut a lot of corners and didn't show the highest level of effort. If you watched him in game-like situations, completely different player. You would be confused for thinking that there was a twin there or identical cousin or something who was running out onto the ice and actually doing the the simulations because he looked like a guy you would expect to have been drafted that high. He he still made he still made some mistakes in the oh, actual. He made mistakes, but every player does, particularly yes. young players. No, I understand that. Um, I mentioned this during camp. This was the tallest, heaviest of their draft class uh, of their camp groups I have ever seen. There were like the only-, four, only like four players under six feet tall. Uh. Four, yes. We had three at five eleven, and the, one guy at five nine, I believe. Yes, Parker Ford is five listed as five nine. So, yeah, the rest of them were all six feet of uh, the tallest being. They were there were three or four guys who were six four, and three or four guys who were six five too. I mean, yes. this was a big, big class. Um, and it was fascinating to see um, because there were two or three guys who stuck out. Um, overall, I thought that the draft picks looked interesting and guys were probably what I've come to believe is on pace for uh, development. 
Um, of the guys that we actually got to see before in the 19 draft. Um, no, wait a minute. Did we, we did get to see the 19 draft because we, well, I that was Beecher. that was John Beecher draft and Trevor Kuntar draft and uh, no Kuntar was Trevor Kuntar was twenty. Oh, whoops! Oh, Quinn Olson was nineteen. My apologies. And, and yeah. Jake Schmaltz was nineteen. So we did get to see them. Yes. Um. Overall, which players, good or bad? Give me a give me a player who you just thought, eh. Player who I thought, eh. Yeah, they're there, but they weren't particularly bad, weren't particularly good, just sort of invisible. For me, one of the one of the one of the ones that was kind of invisible was honestly. Tyler Gratton, but he actually did. He didn't do anything that really grabbed my attention. Yeah, he just kind of. I would agree. He, he was there. He didn't. He didn't I look did, terrible. I, I did actually make a couple of notes on him, but it, again, not real negative issues. It's stuff he can work on. I thought he had some edging issues, and, and but yeah, he didn't. He didn't have any of those wow moments, but he didn't have any of those bad wow moments either. Yeah. Um, For me, I thought Reed Lobster was just about invisible. He had, I think he had like one or two goals, but the the skating drills didn't impress me. The... um, and there really wasn't much else there. Like he's not he's not big, he's not small. Uh at 22 he's older than half the camp and should be he should be more visible one way or the other. Okay, fair enough. I I kind of felt the same way about him. I mean, he's going to UMass, so we'll actually get to see him a little bit. Uh Oh yeah. And and see if there is improvement along the way. He did score a couple of goals. He did score a couple of goals uh, that were noticeable, and I I know I wrote them down uh, when I was taking my notes. But beyond that, I think I actually tweeted out a video of him scoring at one point. Uh, I think he might have beaten Petrozelli. Yeah, and, and there were times where yeah, he was just invisible. I guess is the best way to to describe it. Sure. Okay, of the of the actual draft picks, who stood Did out? Years? Or yes, of general. all of the draft picks, who do you think who do you think lived up to what you should ex- what you expected of them? <laughs> lived up to what I expected of them. How about one that surpassed it? But maybe we'll get to him. I don't know at some point. Well, or lived up to go start with him. Uh, the one who the one who surpassed it is, and we're going to talk about this kid going forward, Trevor Kuntar. And I, can I know see that. that everybody talked about him at camp, so it's not probably one of the three or four most talked about players there. Probably one of the top three players at camp, hands down, in my opinion. 
I will, I will allow that argument. Um, for me, um, of the draft picks, I have, I liked him a lot when we were there two years ago. I see literally nothing to lower my opinion of him. Mm-hmm. I think Quinn Olson is legit. I think he maybe needs one year uh, in the AHL or one more year of development before he should be a very, at worst, a very, very late cut uh, in Bruins camp. I would be inclined to agree. One of the last notes that I took on day five it was a comment just in general was just a comment on how good his positioning is defensively. It's, but it's not, well, that's, that's one of the things that I, I saw late and I know exactly when you saw that. Um, for me, he's the best. He was the best passer there. The best passer he made. He never made a pass that anyone had to bobble. Um, flat passes um, on the stick, on the skate, uh, they're not exploding upwards. They're not, you know, arriving late. They just hit exactly where they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. And he popped in a couple of nice goals, too. Do I expect him to get more goals and assists? No, he's he's going to be a fun player to watch um, if he can if he when he makes it to the NHL. I what was your with- overall impression of the camp? Overall impression of the camp, it, it was – how do I phrase this? There was definite – I thought there was a definite line between guys that you just expect are going to be there and guys that aren't. And it sort of became obvious with the goaltenders as well. As much as I like – Petrozelli and I thought he improved day over day. Um, he had a couple of nice saves on day five, but I don't know that Petrozelli or Steskel, Steskel, will make it. Will 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 be number ones for a long time with an organization. Uh, even Kyle Kaiser, who. I mean, you could make an argument that he was the best of the three goaltenders there, but... I don't think there's an argument to be made that he's not. Right. Whether... And that and that's whether Petrozelli was a third-round pick or not, because he was a third-round pick of the Red Wings back in 16, if I'm not mistaken. And he decided he didn't want to... I don't know whether he didn't want to stick around, but he decided not to stay with Adirondack, and next thing you know, he's getting an invite 17, from... yeah. Okay, but there was, I don't know, I just felt like there was this clear line. It was like, okay, these are the guys who are going to, and these are the guys who. So you would say that there's probably like a top six or eight players who had a gap between them and the rest? Yes. Okay, that's, yeah, that's a way to put it, absolutely. Which I I didn't think it was more of a, I didn't think there was a lot of, blend and middle ground. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I mean, we've been going to these camps since what was it? 2010, 2009. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Uh, we've seen 
we've seen how this, how these players develop and we watch a lot of hockey. Um, for me, I think if pushed, I could probably give nine players who I thought might have a chance of playing in the NHL for more than 25 games, but I, I would have a hard time with it. Nine and 10 would definitely be hard. Um, Overall, Mm -hmm. do you have a most outstanding player? Overall, most outstanding player. For me, I don't Uh, think it's close and it's unfair. Well, it's not unfair, but it's hard to compare one of the people who should be in that category. Um, But I think there was an overall best. I I still think my most outstanding player at camp was was Trevor. I think that he looks like watching him. I think that he's got one more year at Boston College and then he's inking his deal at the end of the season, upcoming season. I can see that. And of the draft of the draft picks, I would say you're almost certainly right. Um, but I think overall the best player there was Brady Lyle. And I don't know that it was that close. The only issue I have with choosing Brady Lyle though, is that he has AHL experience. 25 games. That's, and and I, but he's been there and it's not one is the AHL and two, it was a very, very, very weird season. Okay. Yes. Brady Lyle was. Uh, Brady Lyle was fun to watch, and I know I tweeted out at one point about a, a nice little video of Brady Lyle and, shall we say, caving in uh, a particular draft pick from last year who shall remain, well, no, I'm going to name it, Mason Lowry. who, by the way, if you had to pick a guy that I was impressed with because I didn't know what to expect at all, he would be the guy because he looked like he belonged for most of his Mason issue was, looks like Mason Lorai, we talked about this during camp, looks like a guy who had a growth spurt and hasn't figured out where his body is yet. He, he did. And that was the one comment that I had made issue wise was that he still was easily moved off the puck. Um, and I think that's just he needs another year. Um, I would say him and Olsen both need one more year, maybe two, uh, for Lorai, uh, who was just drafted this year. But let's not forget Mason Lorai, as we talked about a couple of weeks back, uh, USHL Defenseman of the Year. Um, I, and to be honest, I don't care. I, I know it sounds cliche. I don't care what league you're in. If you're voted – as the best at your position, I don't care whether it's in high school or whether it's the AHL yeah. or OHL. If you're voted as the best defenseman in your league, you're doing something right. Oh, and you need to be looked at by NHL quality or NHL teams if you're not already in the system. I mean, it, um, it, it was a tweet that came out from Fluto and – it actually links to his article in The Athletic, but he said there's something big going on here. 
Mason Lowry is uh, Mason Lowry is developing into arguably the Bruins' top prospect. And the reason for that, uh, and I'm. I have trouble dis- I have trouble agreeing with uh, Fluto sometimes because I think some of his I think some of his posts are possibly directed uh, by unnamed persons. Um, I think okay. I didn't see a hole in Mason Lowry's game. Like, am I am I going to declare him fit to play 27 minutes a night in the NHL today? No, of course not. No, he hasn't played game one in college yet. He's going to Ohio State. Um, but his skating is so- very solid. Um, do I think he's a top 5% in the NHL skater? No. Is he probably in – is he comfortably into the top third? Yeah, almost certainly. Um, passing, I think he probably passes – uh, as well as most guys who are playing on a second pairing at at minimum, um, and it's hard to tell because dev camp does not happen at game speed. Um, they're all told and possibly told <clears throat> firmly that you know number one you're here to learn, number two you're here not to get hurt uh, because you're here to learn and then apply that throughout your year wherever you're playing this year. Um, no. Did, didn't we hear at camp? And if you and and I'm asking, and didn't we hear at camp? Was it was it Kirk Ludecky? Somebody told us that Mason Lowry started out as a forward, as a winger. Yes, he's only been playing defense like three or four years. And it says here at the end of the article, uh, my first year I went to Green Bay offensively. I was kind of a wild card. I tried to think to be more offensive my first year than last year. And, I really focused last year. I really focused on defense and playing in my own end and letting the rest of the game unfold. Good choice. Uh, it also goes on to say that he adding weight for him is difficult. The 200 pounds that he showed up at dev camp was actually below his playing weight. Uh, he's also been working with plyometrics to increase his explosiveness Putting on muscle, keeping it steady this season will be a priority at Ohio State to improve his shot and puck protection skills. Um, I think that I think that he is a future NHLer. Uh, part of that, part of the whole package of being a future NHLer is getting it, and I think he gets it. And like, and but yes, I have to agree with you. Brady Lyle is, is just. Overall, I mean, my I take it with a little bit of he has more experience. Okay, it's only twenty five games, but yes, Brady Lyle should be there. And I know that I saw Ty Anderson wrote an article that said that Brady Lyle was the replacement for Kevin Miller, or should be the replacement for Kevin Miller. Let's face it, uh, Kevin Miller in his first couple of seasons as a um, in the NHL was a terrible skater. I mean, it was his last three seasons of actual play where he finally learned to skate at a reasonable level. Mm-hmm. Brady Lyle is hands down a better skater than, than Kevin Miller was. Um, and that's going to contribute to his success wherever he ends up 
uh, at the A, at the N, um, it doesn't matter. Um, but Brady Lyle, one of the things I noticed day one, it's my first note about any player. Yeah. Good with the puck in his feet. And that happens to a lot of defensemen. And it's, it's an interesting thing to be able to say about a guy who's not small. Uh, when you look at Matt Grizzlick or Connor Clifton, those guys are not, not so big. If you, when you look at, uh, Lyle, he is, uh, pretty big at, you know, well, six, three and two twelve. I was going to say one of, one of the notes I have from day one in that second session, first thing I wrote and, it literally it says standouts Ty Gallagher Brady Lyle, and then later on in my notes Brady Lyle and Parker Ford collide. Ford loses. I don't know. I don't know how much more obvious to make it considering Ford is five nine and uh, one seventy four, and yes, Brady Lyle is six three and two twelve. But I Brady Lyle could be physical. He could. He as I said in. in he he went into the boards with Lowry and and well yeah that was also a Lowry loss um, and they were working they were doing board work behind the net you know defensive corners and whatnot so it was to be expected but he just overpowered oh he's he's built <laughs> he's, he knows how to, but he knows how to use his size to his advantage and some players do not um I. I was very, very happy overall with the top five, six, seven players um, I saw. And any other interesting players there for you? I was going to say, I'm not letting this segment end without mentioning the young man from Arizona State. Matthew oh, Copper. Yes. Matthew Copperud. I, I, every day I have some kind of note about him. He was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he he was quick. He, uh, he had he had he had a good burst of speed on him. He was quick. He had good hands. He could score. He was he was a decent passer from what I saw. I, I mean, he celebrated his birthday on on Wednesday on on the third day. That was his birthday. Yep. Uh, he was good with all the with all of the actual drills that they were conducting. I don't have any negative notes on him, and he was fun to watch. And I hope that there's something there, whether he's too old to be a draft pick, but if they could somehow offer him some kind of deal at the end of his, because he was just a freshman, if I'm not mistaken, as well, that he's starting his sophomore season at Arizona State. Sure. And 5'11", 170 kid. He's not huge, like most of the guys in this in this in, in this camp that were six two, six three. I also thought that uh, I I also thought that Mark McLaughlin held his own, uh, but there were moments where he was. And I know you. I know who you're going to bring up, so I'm going to let you bring him up. Oh, who is it? I'm going to bring up. I'd like to know. Uh, some center guy, big six foot four, also oh, that played one. in Providence. Uh, you're talking about, uh, you wouldn't be talking about a guy, uh, with an April birthday, are you? 
He's got an April birthday. He's also not related to a guy of the same name on the parent club. Yeah, I I freely admit I still really like Curtis Hall. I um, thought so. <laughs> he looks he doesn't look like the type who's just go, who's going to get rattled. Um, is he? Am I projecting him as a top six forward? No. Am I projecting him as David Krejci's replacement? Also, no. Um, I said when I saw him two years ago, three years ago, I thought he could step in and play limited fourth line time. Uh, at that point, I don't see anything to change my mind that he could play uh, bottom six minutes um, and not be the worst player on the ice. Um, you know, there's there's 10 teams now where, yeah, he'd be a threat to someone's second line job. Uh, not surprisingly, those 10 teams are not going to make the playoffs this year, but um, he's just complete. He reminds me. in not the same, not quite the same style of player, but mm-hmm. Chris Kelly, he's that sort of. He's that sort of blue collar work boots on. Uh, let's get it done type of guy. He's got a little bit of flash, a little, uh, a little bit of polish, not a su- never going to be a superstar, but always a guy you're going to want on your roster. I thought the most interesting comment of the camp was also made by Kirk when he was telling us about Travis Mitchell and said that the one negative to his game, because he gets it mentally, he gets it physically, he gets it. But the one negative to his game is that he sometimes thinks he's Bobby Orr. <laughs> yeah. Interesting comment. And then we saw him in the scrimmage and, okay, it now we see up. where he's... Uh, yes. It showed up in spades. Um, oh, so over... I'm, go ahead. No, no, no. We... We mentioned earlier, or we mentioned when we started this segment, that uh, you know we we each, we thought that there was a definite gap between our top six or eight and our top and the and the rest. Yeah. Do you have a list of your top six or eight? <clears throat> I made a I have a list of well top three and a top five because I wasn't sure if we were going to do one or the other. And I don't. I'm not ordering mine because I don't think it's useful to necessarily order. No, I was going to do it alphabetically <laughs> because that's the way I'm looking at the list. But um, yeah, go ahead. As it happens, mine is split between three recent draft picks and three and a couple of guys who. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Go right ahead. Um, I'll give you my first three. It's, these are not going to surprise anyone. Um, nope. And actually, I ended up with seven. My apologies. But um, Copperud, I I talked about him at camp, him and the other Ks, um, one of whom we've already mentioned. Uh, Olsen, I think he's – and this is bearing in mind that uh, John Beecher is still recovering from shoulder surgery. Yeah, it was tough to evaluate. It was tough to evaluate him because he couldn't perform like any of the corner drills, anything that required any kind of real physicality. He didn't even play in the scrimmage on the last day. Yeah, 
Um, so he's he gets it incomplete, and that's not uh, – look, there are a couple of other players who couldn't play uh, who still went on to the NHL. Uh, Grizzlick was, red, uh, was in red one year um, and didn't participate at all, I think, another year. Um, but so the first three, Copperud, Olsen, and Lyle, uh, I think I've talked enough about Lyle. Um, absolutely a guy who will break into the NHL at some point. Um, what happens when he gets there all comes down to health, luck, and who else is on the roster and what's going on with the coach. But as far as the physical tools, he's mm-hmm. there. Go. Ah. Uh. <laughs> Honestly, my top three. I know who you're putting in there. I mean, well, my top three actually involve two K's. Go for it. Two K's and an L. Trevor Kuntar. Yep. Matthew Copperud and Brady Lyle. Uh, It's it's really hard to. It's It's hard not to include him, even though he has the experience. And I keep saying that. But it's hard not to include him because he was that good. Now, that said, I'm not – neither one of us is projecting where they're going to end up in the NHL once they get there, if they get there. None of us is claiming any of these guys is going to be a Hall of Famer, a 50-goal scorer, a Norris Trophy winner. Um, My next three, probably not surprising at this point in the show – um, particularly if you followed me on Twitter, Mason Lorai, just complete. He he needs to physically get stronger, and he then needs to learn to use that strength. Um, and that uh, just using the strength will improve his balance and everything, and he won't get caved in as easy. Mm-hmm. Um, Trevor Kuntar, I obviously am going to make a point of watching uh, several of his games this year. Uh, Hall still like him, still foresee him in the NHL. Um, I don't know if he's going to turn into one of those perennial bottom six guys who's shuffled about between teams for until he's literally the gray beard in the room. Um, there's a couple of guys like that who played for the Islanders last year. Um, there's a couple of guys like that uh, there's probably eight or 10 guys like that in the league who, you know, they've been a bottom six player their entire career. They embraced it. They made the most of it. And if Hall can do that at the NHL level, yeah, he's, he's going to have a long uh, career as long as his health and physical training stick out. And then Hoyer, I, he was not a superstar, but he's just one of those guys who seems like he's going to you're going to keep coming around to okay so let's see you know we talked about a center we talked about a left wing we talked about defense oh look right wing yep voyeur cuz he's one of the guys who made it into my day 1 and day 2 notes yeah um day 3 uh Day three was pretty was pretty neat. And one of the things I noticed about Hall during the during day three Wednesday, 
he made this neat little three foot pass off of a backhander uh, in one of the phone booth drills. And it was it was just pretty like (laughs) I happened to be zeroed in on him and uh, the player he was passing to. And. Short passes are underrated in their impact in on the game. But we see Bergeron and Marchand exercise those all the time. We would see Krejci and some of his line mates, uh, the Sedin twins for all of their faults, um, exercise those well. Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe and guys who have played with them, <laughs> Zetterberg and Datsuk, um, the runaway, you know, the Hail Marys are great and they can they can absolutely break the defensive teams. Stretch but you passes. can pull someone out of position so much easier or with a th- with a solid three foot pass uh, that someone can get off, uh, whether to it's an additional pass or a shot on net um, just as easily. Okay. And let's face it, short passes are going to come up more often in the game than breakaways. So did that get you to six or seven? Uh, Voyeur brought me to seven, and okay. that's so, that's my list. So to complete mine, Lorai, uh, again, he just, with the exception of the fact that he can still be moved off the puck, and Pluto actually mentions that in his article, that it's something he's worked on with the getting stronger so that He's not moved off of the puck as much, but he still was. And I don't know if that was a weight thing or just it was a, a camp thing or what. But but he's got all the he's got all the skills. And from a time when we looked at him in the draft and they announced his name and we both went, huh? Who? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So low rye. Uh, I got Curtis Hall. I just. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It. Yeah. This the my other my my other one is going to create a little bit of issue because I know that there we talked to our friend Brenda who thought that he underperformed, but I know, all yeah. I, all I saw of this guy no 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 not Curtis Hall the guy I'm no about I know to who mention, you're talking about Parker Ford yeah what I saw of him was good hands quick feet uh burst you know burst of speed. It, his ability is his passing ability he, in, in, on a two on one. It just yes, okay. He's small and he got knocked over by a much bigger defenseman. I get it, but uh, he scored in the in the in the scrimmage. He scored the first goal on, on the backhander, beating Kyle Kaiser. Assisted on Gallagher's goal. Uh, he was the on day four. He was the only one that scored when they were doing three on three shorts. Short, uh, short ice scrimmages. Uh, he beat. Um, I want to say he beat Kaiser again that day. It just the work that I saw him put in, and I know that our friend Brenda thought that he underperformed, and but what I saw of him, I didn't see that, and maybe there's something I missed because she's seen him before. Yes, and this is my has. first time seeing him, so. I thought he was okay, and then like you, my my seventh guy is is Alex Boyer, um, and one of the things that I actually ended up liking about him was his his ability to 
maintain his position in front of and outside of the net. Um, he scored the fourth goal for the black team during the scrimmage on a slap pass from McFall. And it was a, just a beautiful tip in and he was being he was being checked uh, from behind and, and still managed to hold his position and tip it in. So uh, it just little things like that, not being caved in, not being knocked out of position. He knew that that's where he needed to be. McFall found him and he was able to just redirect the puck. Absolutely. Um, we'll probably talk more about some of these prospects um, and uh, during the season, uh, because I will certainly be watching uh, a couple of them particularly closely during the season. Um, well, between the Providence guys and, I don't know, the two that are attending Boston College, um, one's attending University uh, well, he just signed his AHL deal, so he's not going to Maine anymore. Um, Johnny Kaiser, Beecher yeah. is going to be playing for Michigan, and with that stacked team, if they aren't national champions, something's wrong. But if they aren't some, national champions, uh, it's because they <laughs> – yeah, I don't know. They're going to be scary. They just need to not think about it and play. Yes. But I, 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 but yeah, I, and we're going to be able to watch, keep tabs on a lot of these guys. Whether because of local college affiliations or or just uh, being in Providence or whatever. Now, one of the most talked about stories of the week, uh, particularly in the Boston area, was Krejci's decision to go play in uh, in Europe next year and, you know, be closer to family, um, which which uh, I think is not hugely surprising. He hasn't necessarily dwelled on it, but he's always been about family. Like when he was, when he was 20 and 22, it was all about family. He was Mm -hmm. one of the first guys from that crop of players who you would see show up to a game with, uh, and his kids would be there. uh, His wife would be there. Um, he's gone. The replacement has been talked about. Um, uh, the replacement has been talked about. Everyone has talked about who it's going to be, who they're going to trade for. Christian Dvorak's name has come up over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, I tweeted out a couple of guys who I thought might be really valuable, valuable in that spot. If they could be had at a decent price, um, some people really like uh, Marcus, uh, not Marcus Johansson, Ryan Johansson. Um, others are less, <laughs> others are less enthused. Um, I also think that Blake Wheeler might be an interesting get, uh, although his salary is huge, um, and he's yes. he's also thirty five. Um, but I think he might have learned to have played in Boston between then and now because they shipped him out basically Duke because play anywhere. Yeah, but they shipped him out when he was younger because. Among other know. things at the time, he could not stay on side. Well, there was that, too. I uh, thought that he, he had I thought that he had some issues handling the market that we are in. That may have been part of it as well. Um, 
I mean, clearly he's one of the top two-way forwards in the NHL. And I have no idea how he's never gotten, like, how he's never become a finalist for uh, for the uh, Selkie. Not understanding that myself. But according to Cassidy, it's pretty much Charlie Coyle's job to lose, um, which is something I was talking to two or three other people who were at camp uh, on Monday. Um, some people were talking about Jack Stadnika. I think Studs has a good future ahead of him, particularly if the stories of him bulking up this offseason. That's what I was going to say. The, the, everybody seems to be enamored with the fact that he's put on 10 pounds and he's bulking up a bit. And I'm, Okay, but you still have to have this. I mean, the one thing with, with pasta, when he did the bulking up, he managed to maintain the speed. He still had, he, he, he already had the, the skills to be a goal scorer. You know, does Studnika have the skills to maintain in the NHL? I mean, yes, he's been called up. He's been sent back down. He's been called up. He's been sent back down there's a reason he keeps getting sent back down and it's not just because they need to make space. Yeah. Uh, he does not look physically looking at him. He looks less like in or past pictures of him. I have not seen any pictures from this summer. He looks more like a more, he looks more physically like a fashion model than he does a professional athlete. He's not, got the musculature and yes, I know that hockey players don't have the same, the same sort of bulk as a football player or a rugby player, but they look like professional athletes. They look more like a swimmer, um, Olympic level swimmer than they mm-hmm. do runway fodder. And he needs to get that muscle. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to bulk up to 216 pounds and be able to do 375-pound bench presses and 800-pound squats. Uh, we did see we we did see him in one of the professional practices after the after the 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 prospects were off the ice, and we both commented that he looked bigger. Oh, it was it was surprising how much bigger he looked with just 10 or 12 pounds or 10 or so pounds more, more muscle on him. Um, and I thought it, it bodes well because he, he just got brushed aside. It wasn't even being muscled out of the way because it wasn't even necessarily big players who was running, who were running him over. He was just being ignored and moved and people moved around him. Or I don't through him. I mean, as far as as far as replacing Krejci and and they talk about, uh, I mean, even Sweeney has mentioned that he could still come back. Well, depending on how long he waits to come back, he's already what thirty five years old. Yes, he's a year younger than Bergeron. Uh, yeah, I mean the the one thing that Studnika has going for him over over a lot of the people that have been asked about or projected or speculated about like Krejci, um, Studnika is the right shot. Um, yes. and that makes, 
uh, as is Coil, but I, I think that we can safely say that there's a little bit more finesse uh, and more willingness to pass on that's, Studnika's. That's what I was going to bring up is I don't know that, Co- that Coyle's the right guy for the job because Taylor Hall, one of the things that when he wanted to, he really enjoyed playing with Krejci. Krejci was a distributor first, goal scorer second, and you're setting up a guy who can score goals. I mean, it was – and put the puck where it needed to be, not where not where Taylor came from. I mean, this is a guy who's a premier elite passer in the NHL, or was it, since he's going back home. David Taylor Hall, Taylor Hall didn't have to go looking for the puck. It, it, it was where it needed to be. David Krejci, hands down, one of the top three passers in the NHL in the top twenty five in the last twenty five years. Would you say underrated? It is whatever else you want to talk about his game, and I think that he was underrated overall. Um, his passing, you really can't talk about it too much. And I've talked about this before. Uh, I I have been heading the Bergeron fan club here in Boston since his draft year. Yep. But Krejci was hands down a better passer. Like, I don't think that there's any part of the game except for fighting that Bergeron does poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, not a a pugilist. But David Krejci, as a passer, just plain better. (laughs) Krejci, also not a pugilist, although he has dropped the gloves. Both of them have dropped the gloves, and I think, uh, I think the only thing we can be say uh, we can be happy about is that they didn't drop the gloves in some sort of practice with each other. Um, they probably would have hurt themselves. Each of them probably would have hurt themselves trying to hurt the other one. <laughs> can we say that combined we could count the number of times they dropped the gloves on like one hand? Maybe oh, needing a maybe need a, a finger or two on the other hand. I don't know. I can only think of two times Krejci dropped the gloves, and I think it was three for Bergeron. One of okay. which was kind of foolish against um, against <laughs> yes. oh god Pittsburgh's Malkin. Yes, because Malkin had I don't know four inches of reach and fifty pound or thirty pounds on him. Something like that. Yeah, it was. A telling amount. <laughs> Probably not a good idea. No, it wasn't quite dropping the gloves with Chara or Mark Stewart uh, or Sean Thornton, but uh, it didn't really need to be. <laughs> yeah, so Studs is a no, Coil is a no. Who do we replace? And what bothers me is if you read one of these articles, and I can't remember whether it was the contract extension for Bergeron article or the second or the one about coil is in line for one of the articles mentioned that uh, they talk about Hola, uh, Hala and Nosek preferring to yeah. play the middle. No, not on that line. Coil is definitely a better choice than the two of them. And I like Eric Hala a lot. I talked about him. What was it? Seven years ago when he had that, uh, Eric Howler, he's been around. I mean, his he was with the Canes. He was with um, Vegas, drafted, and I think he was. I think he he, he played for Minnesota uh, somewhere in the middle. I think um, that's where he was taken from in the expansion draft. But 
Vegas I mean, done him, but Eric yeah, Kala, he was in, yeah, Minnesota, he played in Columbus. He had those two shorthanded late goals or overtime goals in the playoffs for Minnesota a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, first three years of his career, I forget where uh, where it was, but he had two game. He had back to back game winners. Okay, if memory uh, serves. Um, but I like Eric Hall. The fact that he had a 29 goal season uh, playing for the Golden Knights their first year, uh, pretty stunning. But he's never come close to that anywhere else. No, it was definitely a standout. See, I mean, you stop and look at the numbers that he put up in it's the inaugural career, Vegas period. season. It's it's 22 points better than his second best career in the second best season in the NHL. 22 points better. He had 34 points with the Wild back in 15-16. He goes to Vegas and he gets 55. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's that's great line chemistry on top of just having a great healthy year. Yeah, wow. And yes, that that's also Gerard Gallant putting together the lines and and getting the appropriate people playing with each other, which, okay, I still don't understand the Gallant firing, but that's another story for another time. And now he's going to get to do it in in New York and we get to see him all the time. Great. (laughs) Do we so who do we replace? I mean, I think it's internally it's uh, it has to be Coyle. Right now, I mean, if we're putting together the lines for training camp based on who's projected on the Bruins roster by cap friendly right now, the Raptors line is back together. Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand. Yes. Um, The second line is now going, whatever you want to call the line, we'll call it the second line for now. (laughs) Paul Coyle and Smith. And then, I mean, I would put Nosek and I would probably put, um, I think you're going, I think your fourth line is realistically going to be some combination of Nosek, Wagner, uh, Frederick and Lazar. Um, Which means that your third line is DeBrusque. Foligno okay. and <clears throat> TBD. It could end up being Stadnika playing uh, playing the right wing. It could be Carson Kuhlman. Um, the defense pairs make themselves at this point. They really do. <clears throat> it's McAvoy and Grizzlick. It's Carlo and. Uh, Riley, and then for the third pairing, it's almost certainly going to be uh, Clifton and Forbert. Excellent. Um, Zaboral does have a shot at unseating them, at unseating one of them. Um, John Moore is theoretically going to be healthy for camp. Excuse me. John Uh, Moore is... John Moore is... As we discussed pre-show, John Moore is going to 
start up on the ninth ring and they might actually sew his name into the back of the chair. I'll help. Well, it says expected duration of six months here, but six months from when? No, he, he's projected to be healthy for camp. Oh, okay. um, and then, you know, for defensive prospects, um, back in has been mentioned and we just got through avoiding gushing over Brady Lyle, but I, it won't surprise me if Lyle is the first call up. No, it wouldn't surprise me either. not surprise me either uh, I I think it's funny you look at the the forward depth chart here and everybody is listed as at least six feet for forwards with the exception of one guy yeah. Taylor Hall <laughs> yes Taylor Hall that would be the one <clears throat> or it could be another left winger you know some guy named Marchand who's listed at 5'9 oh him Every other forward, six feet, six feet, six feet, six two, six three, six one, six feet, six one. <laughs> Actually, not the more a, I think of it, the more I like shit. Studs as the third line right wing with DeBrusque. And, okay. Uh, and Felino. Okay. So what are you doing with Nosek then? Nosek is fourth line. He's one of the four who are going to tune through that. I agree. I think Nosek would be would be better served as a fourth liner. I don't see. I don't think Eric Howler is a fourth liner. I think Eric Howler is better served on the third line. If they need him to, he can center the third. I mean, I guess you're. I guess the question is. Um, I did see some joke that said Curtis here's the, was I on. mean, Valino plays all three positions. Yeah. He's also one of the older forwards this year. Agreed. But they're paying him 3.8. They're paying yeah. Hala 2.3. Yeah. I don't think they're going to play either of them fourth line minutes. I didn't say I didn't say Felino on the fourth line. I said Nosek should be on the fourth line. So are you talking about having both Nose uh, <coughs> both Hala and Felino? On the third line, on the third line, Howler should center the third line. With who is his wings? Felino and Debrusque is fine. Okay, um, so where is Dudnika playing? Um, a violin on the ninth level next to John Moore. If he's not going to play, or in Providence, if he's not playing seven of ten games and twelve plus minutes uh, a night. In Boston, yeah, he needs to be in Providence playing 18 minutes. And that's fine. I just, I, unless you're going to rotate him in on the third line and and swap him out with Howla, I just don't think Howla's a fourth line guy. No, I I think they, they might have overcommitted to the third line this offseason. Just a bit. I mean, I, I had seen joking tweets, and I don't know, maybe they weren't joking, but I had seen things saying that Curtis Lazar should be the second line center. No. That would be intriguing, but no. He has a right I shot. I don't see it. I don't. 
I don't I have see seen it. nothing to indicate that he has the distributor mentality to keep up. I mean, he's I a mean, physical guy, but and he likes to he likes to kill penalties, which you don't hear very often. Somebody come out and say they love to kill penalties, but he's come out and said it. But I don't see him as a second line center. I mean, I when he was 15, he had his career high in points as a banter. <laughs> 15. 15. Okay. A pursuit of excellence bantam prep in Omaha or the Omaha League. 51 games, 57-58 for 115 points. The closest he has come to that at any level was three years later, four years later, uh, Edmonton Oil Kings of the Western Hockey League, 58, nice. ga- uh, 58 games, 41-33 for 76. His pro, like career, his pro career, any level, whether AHL or NHL, the most – assists he's had is 21 and that was for the Stockton Heat the issue is they still have guys like Trent Frederick and Carson Kuhlman who are also going to be looking for ice time Curtis Lazar I think is a great fourth line center yes leave him there if you're pushing him higher you're just not paying attention I think he's fine right where he is. Six assists in an NHL season, even a shortened NHL season like last year, does not qualify you to be the 2C on a team that's expected to to win the second round. Win. Not arrive in the second round. Win. You don't have to sell me. I agree with you. Um, I, I didn't bring it up to say that I thought he should be. I brought it up because I was just presenting you with all the options. Uh, one story there we wanted to talk about, um, and it's not a Boston story. It's not really it's not it's only sort of half a hockey story. Yeah. Um, ladies and gentlemen, allow us to introduce you to Dom Franco, uh, Army standout for four years. Um, he has been. Granted a Pentagon waiver uh, to play for the Mercs uh, in the AHL, six foot five, two hundred and twenty-five pound right fra- uh, right wing, um, described as a physical presence. Um, we talked about this one. There's stories uh, in New England Hockey Journal from Mark Diver. Um, and from uh, other places as well. But yeah. I think this is good for A, Dom Franco, because it's clear he really, really wanted to make it to the hockey, uh, to the NHL, or at least to pro hockey. Um, you, can't, you can't accidentally fall into pro hockey at, at the AHL or NHL level. It just doesn't happen. And to go through whatever it takes, and I'm sure there's a lot of paperwork because military, um, to get that waiver from the Pentagon, um, it's huge. It's the first – he's the first person to do this, to get that pro waiver to play hockey uh, since the Pentagon began the program or policy a few years back. Um, 
and I think it's good for I think it's good for the army, uh, the military in general. Uh, it, it's it's fabulous, and and the fact that he goes to and we talked about this pre-show, the fact that he attends a military academy, you know, free education, but you're required to to do four or six years of service, whichever the number is, and I don't remember. I I want to say four, but it could be six. But you have to, and you're a commissioned officer, you're a lieutenant, junior grade. But for pro athletes, the the Pentagon, the has, the the government has decided that if you are going to play pro sports, if you if you're drafted into, you can get a waiver, and they will allow you to fulfill your requirements after your career, as opposed to losing four years of prime time as a professional athlete. So for for him to go there and they're going to allow him to play, yes, he should absolutely play. And we talked about it as being good for Buffalo. They should do something and make this work for both the Army and for the team as far as getting sponsorship, get him in a Buffalo uniform. I mean, it, I haven't seen him play. I haven't seen videos yet. I don't know good, bad, or indifferent, but if he's gone, if he's made it to the AHL level, it's not because he's a bad hockey player because he's gone from college to the next level. Next step would be to get himself uh, looked at or, or in training camp for Buffalo and, and – and work his way up from there. So I think that this is really good and could be really helpful to both the military in general as far as selling, and selling is not a good word, but selling the image of the military academies as a place to play hockey. As a place to develop. I mean, the idea of citizen soldier Mm -hmm. dates back to the Greeks, to the Romans, and it's something we seem to have lost a little bit of, whether you think that, whatever you think of the military, these people have lives before they go in, and hopefully they have lives when they come out. Um, I think that this, is, that this is good for him. I mean, given all of the things that can happen in the military, giving him a second community to be a part of when he eventually leaves the military. Uh, I think that's a great, great thing for him mentally, physically. Uh, I think this is a fascinating story because whatever else you think about the military, don't for a second believe that their classes and their workload is easy. Um, It's not. Uh, We'll go into it a little bit later when I have time to pull up uh, more of the uh, more of the requirements uh, for athletes. And I think everyone is required to be some level of athlete. Um, I like this story. Uh, Dominic Franco is from Portsmouth, Rhode Island. uh, So he's a New Englander Uh, did lead his army team in the 1920 season um, handily over Michael Wilson um, of Wisconsin and uh, Colin Billick of, uh, Mich- of Brighton, Michigan. 
he's what a 20 he's what 25 years old at this point he is 25 years old um just turned uh 25 back in january it does say here and i i i just finding different angles on the story the military waiver is a year is a year-to-year basis yeah so if he as long as he continues playing he can keep getting the waiver but if he stops playing then he has to go and start his military service uh it said the more ice time that he had at the ahl level the more he acclimated uh it was a big jump. Franco said, I was nervous just trying to get comfortable. I started to realize more and more you have to trust yourself and that you're here for a reason. He's got a he, he's got a good head on his shoulders just from the articles that I've read or skimmed. Absolutely. I should say. He's got a good he's 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 definitely got a, a vision in mind. He's got he won't allow himself to dream too far ahead, though. He believes in more day to day accomplishing of of feats oh absolutely and just the physical fitness requirements of the army much less staying uh in game shape uh are going to keep him one of the fittest players uh in the ahl or the nhl for that matter he might be he might be he might be worth keeping an eye on just to see it says that his game is uh, he doesn't his, his game is not speed uh real good frame big strong strong on the puck uh, his strength is playing down low in the offensive zone, below the top of the circles, being strong in the face-off circle. He needs to be a power forward and then show his skills second, not the other way around. I can live with that. Anything else we want to cover this week? I think we've covered quite a bit. I mean, the dev camp stuff, obviously, because it's near and dear to our hearts, I get. But I think we covered quite a bit this week. I think uh, I think I'm happy with the way things turned out. And if you live under a rock, yes, contract negotiations have begun uh, for Patrice Bergeron. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and we'll talk about that and his uh, future in a show or two. Uh, depends on what happens this week. Um, Darnell Nurse signed to a big, big new deal. Adam Pellick signed to a big, big new deal. Okay. Uh, well, medium big new deal. Yeah. Um, it's not and Darnell. Of course, Marcus Johansson, who is awesome, was signed to a new deal. Uh, well, that would be a one-year deal with the Seattle Kraken, so let's not get carried away. <laughs> hey, he could be a top-line forward on that team. If he's not, if he's the number one, if he's a one C. Um, have you looked at their roster? Not recently, because I know they moved somebody. Didn't they? They moved a couple of somebodies, but really, maybe they'll move that that Lausanne kid back where he came from. Somehow, I doubt that. It would make everybody else so much happier, though. <laughs> I have not. Lo- oh my goodness, uh, Alexander Wenberg, there's your number one center. Are you sure it's not going to be Yanni Gord? Yanni Gord's not going to play center. He's going to play a wing. He's going to be on a wing. He can play all three wing positions. I would put him on a wing as a goal scorer as opposed to a center. I would, Wenberg's a distributor. All right. Or maybe Callie Yancroke? If we stop right, Callie Yancroke's like 2C, 3C tops, middle six. 
I love Jan Croak, don't get me wrong, but And you were geeking say. out over Morgan Geeky, so maybe maybe it'll be him. I like Morgan Geeky. Are you kidding me? What a name. But they actually have him listed um as a non roster person, so at twenty three they've already sent him down. What can I say? <laughs> Anyways, uh, Mason Appleton. I, we, I could break this team down. No, we can't do this right now. We gotta we gotta call it a day. <laughs> we gotta call it a day. Uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Uh, if you haven't actually subscribed to the show, subscribe to the show. And the next time you pick up one of your friends' phones, uh, subscribe to it on their phone too, uh, just in case. Um, have a great day, have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Uh, hit us up on Twitter with anything you think we should be talking about. Take care.